All right. Can everybody hear me? Can you guys hear me? Okay, I can hear myself now. Um, good morning. I hope you all had a great time in your groups um, studying Judges 6. Um, a lot of you know, uh, some of you may not know me at all, but I was a homeschool mom back in the 1990s and the 2000s. And um, when my kids were in elementary school, we liked to go on field trips. Um, now, one particular field trip we went on, um, I'm very, you know, very prideful person. And I already felt like kind of an outcast as a homeschool mom. And we went to Helen Keller's home um, in Alabama. And it was a really great field trip until one of my children said very loudly in the, in the gift shop, Mom, is Alabama a state? That was not a good moment. I was very embarrassed, very embarrassed. Well, another time we went on this field trip to a fire station, and having four out of my five kids be boys, they were really, really excited about the fire station. They got to see the fire trucks and the uniforms and where they eat when they're living there and where they sleep, and it was great. And, you know, I guess uh, at every fire station field house, you have to have the safety talk. You know, one of the firemen is supposed to really, really scare them to death about playing with fire and how dangerous it is. So it was very unexpected when within hours of us getting home that I found myself around the kitchen island where there was a candle burning and one of my sons stuck a paper towel in it, just sitting there with it ablaze like, ah, what do I do? And they're screaming, they're yelling, one of them ran out of the house. Um, I really don't know how we put it out, but uh, I had already planned to tell this little story, and it just came up the other, the other night, this weekend, when we were um, uh, together as a family. Like, remember that time we set the napkin on fire and Daniel did that? Um, anyway, clearly, he had not gotten the message, right? He had clearly not learned anything from that trip, and he did not have a proper fear of fire. He did not. So we are becoming familiar with the pattern of judges. We have our ABCs, A, apostasy, the people do what is evil in God's sight. B, bondage, God sells them or gives them over um, into an enemy's hand. And in this case, it was Midian. And as you read, the Midianites were compared to locusts, and there were so many of them, and they even talks about how many camels they had. Um, I read, uh, something from Kay Arthur that, uh, this past week where she called the, the camelry instead of the cavalry, which I thought was kind of funny. And of course they're coming and bringing their, you know, their hordes of people and their animals in at harvest time and just eating everything in sight and taking everything and stealing everything. So the, be the people see, they cry out to God. And then next we get D, or did we this week? What did we get before we got deliverance this week? Does anybody want to shout it out loud? A prophet, that's exactly right. It's kind of unexpected. Um, Del Roth Davis says, this is like a stranded motorist calling a garage for assistance and the garage sending a philosopher instead of a mechanic. It's not what they expected. So let's look at what the prophet says. If you haven't already opened your Bibles to Judges 6, uh, open them now and look at verse 8. I'm going to read it, verse 8 through 10. The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So this is sort of like a classic I told you so situation. Um, they had been told not to fear the gods of the Amorites. Who were they supposed to fear? God, the Yahweh, real God, right? Um, and they had not feared, and now they're in this trouble. Just like my son had not feared that fire, and he almost burned our house down. So what does the word fear here mean? Um, when I think of fear, I think the most often thing I think about is just being afraid. That's fear. Um, the actual Hebrew word here in verse 10 means to be afraid of, to stand in awe of, to reverence, honor, or respect. And the NIV translates the word here as worship. You were told not to worship other gods, but you, but you did it anyway. Israel was to reserve that kind of fear only for Yahweh. If they really knew him, if they really believed him and trusted him, they would fear him and no one else. Instead, the people of Israel had been busy fearing in that worship sense, the Canaanite gods, Baal and Ashtaroth, which led them into now hiding in afraid fear. They're literally in mountain dens, caves, and strongholds in fear of the Midianites, fearing their crops being taken away, their animals, fearing starvation, fearing for their lives, all because they had not properly feared God. So the first application for us is to fear God. Fear God and fear him only. It's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. I don't think it's a stretch to say that all sin is rooted in a lack of proper fear for God. Or to say it another way, proper fear of God results in obedience. <clears throat> Exodus 20, 20, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And in Deuteronomy 5, 29, God is speaking, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Do you fear God only? What may we be worshiping other than God? And can you trace a line between your sin and that God that you're actually wor worshiping. If you think about what your sin is and try to trace it back to what it is that you're actually worshiping or flip it around, name the God you're worshiping and you can trace all those sins that flow out of that. Well, speaking of fear and starvation, we are finally going to meet our D-deliverer in verse 11. And what is he doing? Um, he is beating out wheat in the wine press. Um, First of all, let me just say that um, in Judges 3, 9 and 15, we're told that the Lord raised up a deliverer. And I thought it was really, really neat in this chapter that we get this expanded version of what that looks like and how this deliverer is being raised up. God is going to take Gideon from fear to faith. It's fragile. Um, and then to obedience. So I love how this scene is set for us in, in verse 11. Let me just read that for us. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, 
which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to what? Hide it from the Midianites. So can't you just picture this like there's a big tree, like a big oak tree out there in the field or something, and then a, a man comes and he sits under it, and there's Gideon sort of hiding in this wine press. Um, I read that normally if when you would beat out the wheat, you would go maybe to an open area at least. Maybe it would be elevated, um, and you'd throw the wheat up in the air so that the wind could catch it, and it carries away the chaff, and the wheat falls to the ground, um, and that you wouldn't take grapes like uphill to a, you know, you would have them in a lower location because they're heavy. Um, and maybe it's an enclosed place. So he's, he's hiding. He doesn't want the, the Midianites. And so this is a kind of a fear-based thing. Maybe it's just cautious. Maybe you would be generous and call it cautious. Um, but he's hiding it. Um, and in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So my first thought is that sarcastic? I mean, is he valorous? Is he really courageous? He's kind of hiding. Um, or is this what God sees that he will be um, with God's power? Don't know. Um, now, verse 13, let's look at Gideon's response. Please, sir, if the Lord is really with us, why then has all this happened? And where are all those wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So clearly, Gideon had not gotten that prophet memo about why all this was happening to them. And it seems like he has a little bit of an attitude. He doesn't um, blame them for their circumstances. He blames God. Like, God has forsaken us. That's why this is all happening to us. And all of those wonderful things he did for our ancestors, they are long gone. I think it's interesting that in verse 14, the Lord doesn't answer or acknowledge Gideon's questions. He simply commands him to go in the smite of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not, I send you. Now what follows are some excuses from Gideon and in your homework I asked you to look at those other passages that were similar and how they, those uh, excuses were answered by God in other places in the Old Testament. And I told my group there were really a lot of those but I just really nerded out once I saw how many times all those things had happened with different people in the Old Testament. It's so neat. Um, so the Lord answers all those excuses, again, just very simply in verse 16, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. That means as if they were just one man. That's how easy it is going to be for you to defeat these Midianites. It's just like they're one man. Now, of course, in fairness to Gideon, he, de he doesn't seem to be initially sure of who he's talking to. I really think, I'm not sure he would have said all of that about the Lord not being with him if he really knew who that was that he was talking to. But now it seemed like he's getting a clue about who it is. Verses 17 and 18. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. And then as you know, Gideon goes in and he is preparing like a big Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, it's like preparing a young goat. Who knows, did he have to butcher it? Did he have to dress it? He cooked it, he makes a broth. He uses 22 liters of flour to make bread. And he makes all of this, he comes out. The Lord says, put it on the rock 
pour the broth over it, and he touches the staff, and poof, fire springs up, and the Lord vanishes. And Gideon's reaction, again, is fear. Oh, no, I'm doomed. Basically, I'm a dead man. Um, Verse 23 and 24, let's see what happens. The Lord says to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. And to this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizrites. Um, I wanted to read you this quote from Dale Ralph Davis. In here, I think it's so good. We Western Christians do not understand Gideon's agony in verse 22. Such talk is strange to us. We long to reach our warm hand through the print of our Bible page, pat Gideon's shoulder, and soothe him with, don't worry, Brother Gideon, God's not really scary like that. If only you had the New Testament. A pained, perplexed look would come over Gideon as if he had just heard a theological ignoramus. And so he did. This sort of talk in verse 22 is strange to us because we have no real sense of the terror and awesomeness of God. For we think intimacy with God is an inalienable right rather than an indescribable gift. There's nothing amazing about grace as long as there is nothing fearful about holiness. But thankfully, Gideon knew better. Nothing is more assuring than God's I will be with you. Nothing is more overwhelming than the fact that it is God who says it. It is only God who can speak peace to the trembling. I just love that so much. So there are 14 verses here in this encounter between the angel of the Lord and Gideon. But just look at how little the Lord has actually said and what he has said, just the economy of words. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor, verse 12. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you, in verse 14. But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I will, that was in 16. I will stay until you return in 18. The next sentence regarded the instructions for the sacrifice in 20. And then finally, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die in 23. Just word after word after word of encouragement, of affirmation, of saying, I am going to be with you, I am sending you, I am behind this, and I, I will be there. It's just so patient and gracious of the Lord to do that, to raise this fearful, cynical man up, strengthen him, and encouraging him. Um, the second application I want to just point out from this is just that we can trust God. He is trustworthy, and we can trust his words. If you're a Christian, you too have had an encounter with God. He showed up in your life. He called you to his purpose, the purpose of trusting him and following him. He sent his son to pay for your sins and save you from death. He's put his Holy Spirit inside you. He's given you his words in book form so that you can read all about his great deeds, his faithfulness. You learn that he always keeps his promises, and he's done all that for us. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Luke 12, 22-26. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your, the span of your life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And then one more, I think it's really good for, um, I think about our country when I'm reading this one, um, Col- Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is in control. So I asked myself, and I ask you, do you trust God in all circumstances? There's a lot to be afraid about now. I mean, for the last year we've been through and still going through this pandemic, this COVID, um, joblessness, um, instability in the world. Um, What do you need to leave in God's hands? What are you afraid of that you need to leave in his hands? And where do you feel weak? Do you feel forsaken by God? Well, next, God gives Gideon a job. (coughs) And it's to tear down this altar that is his dad's own altar. And apparently maybe like a center of worship for the whole town in his father's own house, this temple to Baal and the Asherah pole that's next to it. And God tells him to take his father's bull, to pull down this heathen altar, to build a new altar to Jehovah, and then to kill that bull, which by the way was a symbol for the god Baal, uh, kill it, use the the wood of the Asherah pole to burn it, um, and offer the sacrifice to God. So this is like in your face, God. You are, you know, it's so ironic the way they, that God had him do that. Um, and Gideon does it, but how did he do it? When did he do it? Night. Why did he do it at night? Still some fears, right? He st- says he was afraid that he, he, he did it at night. Um, in verse 27, it says, For Gideon took ten, ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. And the men in the town, he was not wrong. I mean, they were angry and ready to kill him. Um, But I love how the father stepped in and made this great point. I know you're angry, but the more important question is, like, is Baal angry? Because if he is, then he can fight his own battles. Um, And then Gideon gets this new name, Jeroboam. I, I think it's like a, I want to say it like s- Southern accent, because it sounds like it would be a Southern name, Jeroboam. <laughs> Jeroboam. <laughs> um, let Baal fight his own battles. Okay, so an application here, I think that we see that trust leads to obedience. At this point, you can see this, these, this budding faith that Gideon has. Uh, he has uh, had this encounter, and he, even though he's still afraid, he is trusting God more. He is more afraid of, of not obeying God. Um, so what about you? Is there an altar you need to tear down, but you're too afraid for some reason? You're afraid of the consequences, or are you afraid to speak out about the sin around you? Are you afraid of being canceled, maybe, for the wrong views, maybe not posting something that you might want to post? I don't know. What, what is it? What is the fear in your life? Um, can you be obedient in spite of that fear? Yes, you can. Um, next, we sort of get this ex- sense of acceleration. Okay, here we go. 
um, the enemies have come together. It's like Braveheart, you know, this horde of Midianites are gathering, and then the Spirit of the Lord goes, clothes Gideon, he sounds a trumpet, and you're like, man, they're about to go to battle. The relatives follow him. He sends out all these messages, and all the other tribes are congregating together. We can just picture that battlefield, and then all of a sudden, kirk, it's like brakes, put the brakes on, let's pump the brakes, Gideon. Gideon is still unsure. Yes, he still needs more confirmation and test God with a fleece. On the one hand, I thought, okay, well, here he is being afraid again and being cautious. But on the other hand, this is a pretty bold ask of God. It's sort it's, I mean, to me, you could say he, it was courageous to ask this of God, not, I'm not saying we should do this. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just thinking it's kind of interesting. Um, and the Bible does not tell us what God thought. It just tells us that he acted um, for the fleece to be wet, the ground to be dry, and, the fleece, and then the other way around. God did it. And I love how God didn't just make the fleece a little damp when he asked it to be damp, but it was like soaking wet. My dad would have called it sopping wet. Sopping wet. I don't know if that's really a thing. I need to look that up. Um, but it was really wet. So again, just a, I just can't, this patience of God and the merciful nature of him to continue to affirm and encouraging him um, really stands out to me this, this week, and there the chapter ends. So it was at this point, I don't know for whatever reason, I was just a little annoyed by Gideon. Like, was it that angel, that whole thing with the angel? Wasn't that enough? Like, I mean, that would take a long time to ever get over that. You know, the, how he really showed up like that, and then the whole fire. I mean, was that not enough? And then I realized just how much I'm like Gideon. How can I be annoyed, you know? Like him, I'm an idolater who's slow to fear God, slow to trust him, eager to disobey, I can cock my own test because I failed to take God at his word and often doubt that he's even really with me. And I think that the, for the final application that I thought of was just that Gideon is such an imperfect deliverer and he can't help but point us to the perfect one. Um, the perfect deliverer to come, Jesus. Perfectly trusting, perfectly obedient. Here are a few verses about that. Um, Philippians 2.8. And being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. John 12, 49, Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And then John 14, 31, Jesus again says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Ladies, do you fear God? Do you fear him? Are you trusting him? Are you obeying him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Judges 6. Thank you for this story in which we see a character, a man that was so much like us in so many ways, with so many fears and anxieties and misgivings. Um, thank you for showing us your mercy your faithfulness, your grace in saving this people and saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.